Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show, it is the third hour, and the phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I am about to dramatically, diametrically shift gears away from anything I was even going to talk about this hour, including Daylight Saving Time, which I'll get to. So before I do that, I want to talk to Chris, who's been waiting patiently on the phones. Chris, welcome to the program. How are you doing today, sir? Great. What's going on? Hey, um, you were talking earlier about the power situation out in California. I was out in Salt Lake City over the weekend um, visiting my son who's going to school out there, and I met some people from California that lived in the Bay Area. And the guy was actually a lawyer, and he seemed to be a fairly conservative lawyer. But he said he'd be working from home, and all of a sudden the power would just go out in his house. And he said it might go out for as long as two days, which is causing considerable problems for everyone around. So what a lot of people have done is they've decided to go and install these uh, home generator systems to try to alleviate the problem. So the cost of what they're spending out there is roughly $50,000 for one of these setups, which we can do around here for probably twenty-five grand. Mm-hmm. But the American people are smart. They're circumventing the stupidity of all these politicians to make sure they can still do what they want. But ultimately, he said people are leaving in droves to go to other places just because the politics are getting too terrible out there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of smart people, capable people who can are leaving. And you know what's so interesting, Chris, is you mentioned these generators, they're either gas or natural gas. Uh, they're, they're fossil fuel Correct. burning. <laughs> so California just makes the situation worse. Now, uh, what you may not know, I don't know if you, you all went into this, but so what's going on out there, is that California ordered Pacific Gas Electric, PG&E, to convert to wind and solar as quickly as possible as California wanted to get rid of their fossil fuel plants. So if they didn't convert on a timeline laid out by the state of California, they would be fined exorbitantly. So PG&E had to take all of the money that they normally spend for upkeep of their power grid and use that money to convert. The result is they haven't been able to upgrade the power lines, and so that's what's sparking all the wildfires up there. That's why they have to turn the power off. When the wind is too high up there, they turn the power grid off to avoid sparking wildfires because they don't want the uh, liability issue. Uh, and it's just made matters chaotic up there. The, the whole thing is bizarre. Um, just, okay, so now i got to ask, uh, where, where's your son going to school out in, in Utah? Uh, it's a small boarding school by the name of Telos, uh, just on the South side of Salt Lake city. I, you know, so I have never been in Utah outside of the airport there. And I've always wanted to go because that is some gorgeous country out there. It's absolutely beautiful. You, you'd look out the front yard of where my son stays at and there are mountains in the background just covered in snow already. Um, Mm. it, it was some of the most beautiful scenery and everywhere you're at in Salt Lake city, uh, any direction you look at, basically you've got mountains all around you. It's, it's gorgeous out there. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta find some time at some point to go, go hang out in Utah because it really, I've got some friends out there. Uh, and in fact, Mike Lee, the the senator, is a good friend of mine, and he keeps telling me I need to come out and go skiing in the winter. And I've never snow skied in my life, and I'm pretty sure I'd kill myself or break both my legs if I tried. I, but, I think you'd really enjoy. It. It's beautiful. There's a lot of state. Oh, actually, there's a lot of national parks that are around that area that are fairly easily to, to drive to as well. So it's, it's a great area. Beautiful. Well, nice yeah. Too. The Mormons I, do it are. right out there. 
Yeah, they, they do. They do. In fact, uh, there are a lot of craft beer brewers out in Utah that I want to go check out. They're not the Mormons, though. <laughs> All right, they Chris, are. thanks very much for the phone call. I, I, I wanted to get to your call because I am going to rapidly shift gears here to something else that I was not going to talk about, but it does need to be talked about. Charlie actually uh, commented on this, and, and he deserves the credit for pointing it out to me first. There is, if you get on social media today, a, a massive focus on the Kyle Rittenhouse case. It presses all the right buttons for progressives and conservatives on social media who are constantly at each other's throat. There is another trial happening concurrent to the Rittenhouse trial. Now, a friend of mine, I'm not going to tell y'all who because y'all y'all would immediately question uh, my sanity. <laughs> I have a friend of mine who pointed out, if you get on social media, particularly on Twitter, there is a thing called Black Twitter. It is uh, black people on Twitter who tend to live in a completely different headspace than you and me and focus on things that you and I do not focus on at all and cover topics you and I would know nothing about. And while all the good white progressives and conservatives are yelling at each other over Kyle Rittenhouse today, black Twitter is focused on Ahmed Arbery. And we probably all should be focused on Ahmed Arbery. Ahmed Arbery was the 25-year-old man who was out for a run and Gregory McMichael, his son and another man, chased him. And ultimately, the McMichaels wound up killing him. And they claimed it was a citizen's arrest. I was perturbed at the time of the case. Because a lot of people suggested, well, you know, Arbery's got a record. He's, he's, he's no good. But it doesn't matter, does it? If we are all to be judged individually, we should be judged on on the here and now and the then and there and what we actually did. And Ahmed Arbery did have a record, if I understand it right. And in the area where Ahmed Arbery was jogging or running, there had been some break-ins. In fact, uh, a Ahmed Arbery appeared to be on the security camera of a construction project, but the construction project manager and the homeowner said it wasn't him. And yet that took on a life of its own among people who basically said, well, he got what he deserved, or of course this was going to happen, which I couldn't believe there was, but there was. And people wanted to seize on details to make it so, to, to, to blame Ahmed Arbery. What happened was Ahmed Arbery was out for a run. Some homes had been broken into, and not that day, but previously. And Gregory McMichael, who had been a police officer and, and had ties into the local district attorney's office, he and his son, another man, chased Ahmed Arbery down, held him at gunpoint, and McMichael and his son wound up shooting and killing Ahmed Arbery. There had been no crime that day. There had been no crime in their immediate vicinity. And yet they took it upon themselves to be the judge, juror, and executioner of Ahmed Arbery, and they are now charged with his murder. The local prosecutor did not want to prosecute because he was friends with the McMichaels. And only when a videotape came out showing the murder 
Was there enough national outrage to provoke it? It would have been covered up. And this is a key. This is objectively true. And I don't know under why, why anyone wants to dispute it. These men would have gotten away with taking a 25-year-old man's life because of their friendship with the local prosecutor had there not been a YouTube video sparking national outrage. Their murdering of Mr. Aubrey forced Georgia on a bipartisan basis to change its citizen's arrest law. And the trial's happening right now. And all the white people are focused on Kyle Rittenhouse. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that dynamic. Because I'm not really one that buys into a lot of the, the race conversations coming out of the left. But I do think on social media, it's notable that there are, there are focuses for people who are black and focuses for people who are white. And the Ahmed Arbery situation, in, in one way, it is not the focus of conversation because a lot of people on the left and right said the McMichaels needed to be prosecuted. There really wasn't a large division ultimately that they needed to be prosecuted. But the McMichaels have doubled down on Georgia's self-defense or, or citizen's arrest law, claiming that there was a citizen's arrest. Now, here's the relevant law. A private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. If the offense is a felony and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape, a private person may arrest him on reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion. Now, here's the key here. The, the person committed the crime in the presence of the arresting person or within his immediate knowledge. There was no immediate crime, so there could be no immediate knowledge. There was no crime committed in the presence of the McMichaels, so they shouldn't have arrested them. And, and Georgia now has changed their law so that you can only arrest someone if it's happening on your property. You can't arrest them for a crime happening to someone else. But here's the thing that everyone seemingly has ignored. Ahmed Arbery should still be alive. And the prosecution should have happened soon after his death. But there was a prosecutor who was friends with the defendants and let it all slide. It's hard to have these conversations in the United States today because racism is alive and well in this country. But again, it's the exception to the rule. It's not the rule. Most people aren't racist. There are corrupt cops and there are corrupt prosecutors and there's racism in America and they're not the norm. And in postmodern America, everything that is the exception tends to be the rule. And so the result is that a lot of conservatives, they don't want to talk about or engage with these issues because it's hard to have those nuanced conversations and you get into the what about situations. What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? What about this one? It's like, if you will, and, and gosh, maybe I shouldn't go here. I should know better, but it, it's like when you get into the stuff on the stolen election, there, there were problems in the election. No one denies there were problems in the election. 
There was not enough of a problem to overturn the election. There was not documented, provable fraud. But people were like, well, what about this one? 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 Some of them were mischaracterized and aren't true. Some of them are true. But there's just not enough of them. There's no perfect election. There's no perfect prosecution. There's no perfect defense. But there are crimes and prosecutions and trials that it just, it, it's very interesting to see what gets covered and what doesn't. And a, a, a Twitter follower friend of mine just pointed out to me that it's a very online thing to be focused on Rittenhouse. It's a very online, not a normal person thing. Most normal people aren't paying attention. And that's true. Most normal people aren't paying attention to Almond Arbor either. And I think a lot of normal people should pay attention to the Almond Arbor situation. I, I, I think everyone should pay attention to the situation because it was real injustice. And we should remind ourselves that this injustice does exist and we should remind ourselves it was caught. We should remind ourselves that a lot of times these things don't get caught. And I just, I'm, I'm, I think that we should be able to have these conversations. And unfortunately, we can't because there are two loud and vocal camps in this country. One is that it never happens and there is no racism. And one is that it always happens and it's always racist. And neither is the case. It's far more nuanced than that. It's like when you talk about racial reconciliation in churches these days, you're immediately presumed to be woke. I actually think this country has a history of race and racism. I actually think that it is fading away rapidly. And I actually think that the loudest voices now about the issue are the people who have long profited from the issue of race and racism, and they're about to be out of income and they know it, so they're stirring the pot to keep it alive. But I also think that people are sinners, racism is a sin, therefore, there are sinners who are racist and racism is their sin. And we should be mindful of that in this country, particularly given this country's history. McIntosh County, Georgia, where this Ahmaud Arbery tragedy happened, is a, is a county with notorious racism documented historically into the 60s, 70s, and 80s. There's a great book called Praying for Sheetrock you should read. And I just, I, I'm I'm kind of perturbed that we can't have honest conversations about this because people on both sides have a vested interest in making it all or nothing when it's something in between. 25-year-old Ahmed Arbery, he was jogging. And three men hunted him down and gunned him down and nearly got away with it except for a YouTube video. Kyle Rittenhouse is on trial at the same time will probably be found not guilty, at least on, on the murder charge because of self-defense. Ironically and interestingly, in both cases, there's video evidence. In the Rittenhouse matter, it, it looks to be exculpatory, and in the Aubrey situation, it's damning. In the one, because of the wiles of Twitter and, and the wokes and Antifa and all that, people distributed it as quickly as possible on Kyle Rittenhouse, and on the other, the video was there and probably would have been covered up as well. And bad people would have gotten away with something. Question is, why are we focused on one and not the other when the other is all the more compelling and all the more damning about what goes on in this country?
holiday seasons are upon us and you got to start thinking about gifts, particularly now with all the supply chain nonsense out there, you want to get a good gift. You want to get a thoughtful gift. And did you know we spend a third of our lives in bed? So pure organic cotton sheets from Bowl and Branch make a truly special gift. They make the highest quality sheets by doing things the right way, not the easy way. My wife, by the way, loves Bowl and Branch sheets. She really does. So I got to tell you, they're comfortable. The sheets, they fit perfectly. The fitted sheets are great. They're not going to shrink. In fact, they're going to get softer over time. I can tell you because we sleep under them. It's a husband and wife team, Scott and Missy Tannen. They founded Bowl and Branch to create a new standard in bedding by doing things the right way. Again, they don't do the easy way. They do the right way. They've got high thread count, premium cotton, and it gets so soft. Treat yourself and your loved ones to the new standard in bedding from Bowl and Branch. Their gifts come wrapped and ready in their special holiday packaging. If you order by December 19th, you get guaranteed delivery by Christmas. The best deals of the year are going now from November 18th to November 22nd with promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BowlinBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions may apply. Got to correct myself. I, I said uh, the Almond Arbor situation happened in McIntosh County. It's Glenn County, uh, Georgia, which is, a, if you've never been, uh, one of the prettiest parts of the state of Georgia outside the North Georgia mountains. My gosh, it is gorgeous down there, and I don't get down there enough. I've got an affiliate down there. I need to do a live broadcast down there, I think. I clearly have enough listeners down there, given the amount of people emailing me, saying, no, no, it's Glenn, not McIntosh. Praying for sheetrock was in McIntosh uh, County. Uh, that it is, you go down 95 towards uh, Florida and you'll go through Glenn County and it is the Golden Isles down there. My gosh, I haven't been down there enough. The Sea Island is down there uh, where the Cloisters is. And I've been, I need to take my family down there. I've been there for a conference before and they've never been able to go with me. They've never been. I think my kids would like, it's a neat place. Um my wife isn't into super, super fancy places, and the Cloisters is very fancy. But my gosh, is it nice. One of those hotel rooms where you can get in the hotel. I can't sleep in a lot of hotel beds, but there, my goodness, can I. Okay, I, I got to move on. Um, the Aaron Rodgers controversy continues. The NFL is fining him. Uh, and there continues to be this major mass outrage about him. And now... And now Matthew McConaughey, who the left has been clamoring to run for governor of Texas. They're kind of turning off Matthew McConaughey today. Why? Because he said something controversial. What did he say that's controversial? <laughs> we should not have to give our kids the COVID vaccine. Oh, yeah. He said five to 11-year-olds don't really need it. They get sicker from the flu than they do from COVID. What he said is scientifically positively true. And yet they now want to burn him to the ground for saying it. it this this is, it, it, it's becoming, I, I don't know. It, I, I keep using the word religious and I hate to keep using it, but it really is becoming a bit of orthodoxy on the left that you have to have the vaccine. Your kids don't need it. You know, if a kid gets the flu, if a five-year-old gets the flu, the five-year-old is going to be far sicker on average than a child, a five-year-old who gets COVID. A five-year-old who gets COVID more likely than not is going to have no symptoms. While a child who has the flu is going to be very, very sick. In both cases, the child may very well get natural immunity and, and not have bad cases in the future. Now we know that the, the COVID vaccine, you're probably going to have to get it and get it and get it and get it and get it. 
a lot of people I think are eventually going to say, you know what, I think I'd just rather get it and move on. Uh, having had enough of the boosters to boost their immunity, let them get it and then be done with it. Uh, the flu, we don't take make kids get the fact. Now, we've always given our kids the flu vaccine, uh, but a lot of people don't. It's not a big thing to them. So I don't know why this should be, yet it is becoming some sort of orthodoxy on the left that you must. Getting very frustrating. All right, daylight savings time. When we move back, some of you have strong opinions. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. A listener just emailed and said, why would the defense want a mistrial at this point? I don't think the defense does want a mistrial at this point. I think the judge nearly declared one. Um, At this point, I think the defense is feeling pretty confident uh, in the Rittenhouse matter. But I want to move on to daylight saving time. And I, 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 you'll have to excuse me. People have admonished me. It's saving time, not savings time. Everybody says savings time. I, I, I really don't care. Um, okay. Years and years. Ben Franklin was one of the first people to suggest daylight saving time. There have been many, many excuses over time about it, uh, as to what you should or should not do, uh, as to whether or not it was for farmers or something else, I, I don't think it really matters. What matters is that in November, we fall back to standard time. And in standard time, your mornings have more sun and your evenings get dark early. When you flip over to daylight saving time, your evenings are brighter, your mornings are darker. And you get the 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 worry warts out there. Oh, the children, the children. We can't we can't have daylight saving time for the children. They'll be standing there waiting for the bus in the dark, and the bus will run them over. I'm in the camp that thinks evening having brighter evenings is a good thing. The kids can suck it up in the morning. I'm persuaded, however, that it doesn't really matter. We should just pick one. Maybe we need a nationwide question on the ballot. Every state, do you want daylight saving time and have brighter evenings, or do you want daylight standard time and have brighter mornings? I I, I don't care. I just think we need to pick one, and we need to move on and be done with it. I There's just... There's no orthodoxy on whether or not you should have daylight saving time or daylight standard time. I know conservatives who want it brighter in the morning. I know conservatives who want it brighter in the evening. There, There's no consensus. There's no consensus on the left either. And that, to a degree, is why Congress won't act. It may be, I suspect more people would prefer to have brighter evenings than brighter mornings. But you know there's more. You can't trust a morning person. I don't get you morning people. I am not a morning person. I When I was doing my 9 a.m. show, I was having to get up at 6 a.m. and I it, it was a struggle because I was still going to bed at midnight, 1 a.m. and then getting up at, at, at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it was miserable. I am not a morning person. I have never been a morning person. I don't know that I like morning people. I don't know that I trust someone who gets up out of their warm, comfortable bed in the morning and they're happy about it. Oh, I'm going to get up and enjoy my day and my cup of coffee when no one's around. No, stay up all night and enjoy it when the kids are asleep. You don't have to worry about getting the kids up in the morning. You stay up all night. I just, I don't, I don't understand you morning people. And I know there are morning people out there and I don't like them. But I suspect majority of people, if pushed, would like to be able to go out in the evening and have the sun up. Marco Rubio and the Floridians, they want daylight saving time 
to may, be made permanent because the tourist industry in Florida, it's a big thing. Disney would love for daylight saving time so that people can enjoy the parks longer in the evening with, with sun. This obviously is not really just about daylight saving time, though. It is about the lack of consensus. People can't agree on anything anymore. Now, consequently, we have a fairly divided, evenly divided Congress. The Democrats have a five-seat majority in the House. They've got a one-seat majority in the Senate. It reflects our lack of consensus in this country. Now, that's going to change, I think, in the midterms because there is a growing consensus in the country that the Republicans would do a better job than the Democrats in Congress. I know some of you may disagree with that, but I i mean, the trend lines are overwhelming at this point. The reality, though, is that we're having a hard time getting anything done in this country. And our founders, we should recognize their genius. The founders made it very difficult to get anything done. It is a feature, not a design, that we have gridlock, or a feature, not a bug. Gridlock is a feature. It is not a bug of our system. The founders intentionally made it very difficult to get anything done. The filibuster is not a new invention, despite the revisionism from Democrats. You know, the Democrats, as I've said, the Democrats make everything they don't like racist. Anything the Democrats don't like is racist. And so they don't like the filibuster because it's blocking them from getting anything done. And they have decided that the filibuster is racist. Do you know what the filibuster was first over? The filibuster has been a law around for a very long time in this country's history. And there are some people who assert that the filibuster was first deployed to block anti-slavery legislation. There are some who suggest the filibuster was first used by the segregationists of the South to block Congress from doing anything before the Civil War. They are lying. It is not true. Do you know what the first filibuster was used for? A dispute over a printing contract for the Senate. Yes, that's the truth of the matter. It's not my truth. It's not your truth. It is the truth. The very first filibuster was used about a printing contract in the United States Senate. The filibuster is not racist. Has it been used by racists? Yes, it's been used by a lot of people. Over the last four years, it's been used mostly by Democrats. I guess they're racist because they used it so much to block Republican initiatives when Donald Trump was president. The filibuster is just a tool. The filibuster requires there be consensus in the Senate. And if there cannot be consensus, there is very limited action that can happen in the Senate. It's by design. It is a feature, not a bug. And our nation should, if it was wise, if we were wise people and if our governance was wise, we would recognize that we need to do more at the local level than at the national level because at the national level, we are too divided. Locally, you can get consensus on things more and more. In local communities, as people have moved to communities of like-minded interests, they're able to get things done. 
The problem is that nationally, and it is more progressives than conservatives, they want one-size-fits-all morality and standards on everything. And so if you're a conservative and you move to a conservative community and you don't want an abortion clinic in your community, the left imposes the abortion clinic on you. The founders embraced federalism because federalism is good. Federalism allows divided, fractious people to settle in communities of like-minded interest, ceding to Washington only the limited things that Washington needs to do for the United States. When the states are not united but divided, the states themselves and the localities within should be able to govern and decide how to live their lives. It is a 20th century invention that the federal government should be the government that imposes its will on all of us all the time on everything. Prior to the Civil War and really into the 1900s, we were referred to, if you look up papers, in the 19th and 18th century as these United States of America. They were autonomous, semi-autonomous nation states that had ceded limited authority to Washington, D.C. after the Civil War and really into the 1930s and the Great Depression and FDR, Suddenly, more and more people talked to us, talked about us as the United States, a single nation, as opposed to these United States, a group of semi-sovereign independent nations who had ceded limited power to Washington. But regardless of the terminology, we actually are these United States. We are 50 semi-sovereign states. There are 13, 14 of which, if you include Texas, 15 if you include Hawaii, that really were autonomous, independent states that gave up some power to join the union. The rest of it was just land grabs that the federal government oversaw or won in war. But the 13 original colonies, Texas and Hawaii, were independent nations that ceded limited power to Washington, D.C. And then some of the states, like Alabama and Mississippi, were part of Georgia until the Yazoo land deal and Congress intervened. And then there's West Virginia that was part of Virginia. So your, your number goes up. There was Florida that came into the Union that was Spanish territory. Louisiana, which was part of the French Empire until bought by Thomas Jefferson. And even part of Louisiana was part of the, the independent country of West Florida. Part I grew up in Louisiana, the, the Bonnie Blue flag was the flag that, that we all saw flying as kids, not because it was some sort of Confederate emblem or something, because that was the Republic of West Florida, which was one of the very first independent nations brought into the United States, really <laughs> by pressure of the American soldiers who moved into the area. But as this nation has grown, so many of us have looked to Washington, D.C. to solve all of our problems. And the result is we are more fractious and more divided and more at each other's throats now than ever in the past, in large part because we have decided Washington is the be-all, end-all, when Washington was never meant to be. There's this arrogance of time that exists in humanity that, that we, we, we can do so much. We have landed men on the moon we have remote control robots roaming Mars. And we have spaceships that have now left our solar system and gone into deep space. Therefore, we are wise, wiser than our founders. And it's simply not true. The founders were wiser than we are, we are for one very good reason. 
our arguments over the separation of powers and the Constitution and how our nation is structured are abstract and theoretical. To them, they were matters of life and death. Our founders had literally pledged on a piece of paper that they then lived out their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to a new nation birthed in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, to quote Abraham Lincoln. So when we squabble over things and are frustrated by the obstruction in Washington or the inability to get things done, our founders had lived and breathed in a revolutionary war the ideas that then came to be in the Constitution. It meant something visceral and real to them that Washington should not be able to get many things done. They did not want a powerful national government like the British Empire had become with everything coming out of Parliament controlling the colonies. They, they didn't want that. So they hatched the idea of federalism. They hatched the idea of separation of powers. They hatched the idea of balancing the powers. They hatched the idea of making things difficult to get done without a common consensus nationwide. And yet we all get to complain about it, the Democrats right now more so, because they want more progress at a faster clip than the founders ever intended. And so the progressives have decided they're smarter than everyone and should get it done. And maybe, just maybe, we need to exercise a little bit of humility and say the founders, for all their faults, actually knew what they were doing. And when we can't find common consensus on whether we go with daylight saving time or daylight standard time, we just leave it alone until we can find some common consensus. And on everything else as well, the debating over whether or not we should have standard time or saving time is exactly the debate we're having over everything else. A debate about a lack of consensus to move this country forward. And if we can't, Perhaps then we should let the states move forward at their own pace, deciding most of the big issues of the day, instead of waiting on a bunch of idiots in Washington to decide for us. Now, one of those issues is power. I like the idea that Texas has its own power grid. You don't, unless you live in Texas. Uh, you've got a national power grid that comes into play, and your bills are going to go up. And you might want to save some money with the Eden Pure Gen 40 heater cooler. It's a fan that has a heating element that circulates hot air, can warm a 1,000 square feet. It saves money on your power bills. Now, I got to tell you, the Eden Pure folks did send word that they are of limited supply. So if you want to get these, you probably want to go on and get one of these. Uh, because they do work. I can put mine on the front porch and it circulates hot air. Now, granted, it's the, the open front porch, but when I have friends over on Sunday uh, for Sunday nights on my front porch, it's gotten cold out. Or if I've got my glassed-in back porch and I need a little extra heated air circulation, the Eden Pure Gen 40 works up to 1,000 square feet. And in the summer, you just use the fan and it works as a great fan. Uh, you can get $20 off their lowest sale price right now by going to EdenPureDeals.com. You will see the Eden Pure Gen 40. If you click on my name, Eric Erickson, on the front page, you'll see the Eden Pure Gen 40 and put it in your cart and check out. And then you use a discount code, Eric Heater, E-R-I-C-K, Heater, all one word, and you will get $20 off the lowest sale price and you'll get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you hanging out with me today. My goodness, uh, there is some polling out. Americans now want to read about sports, not politics. So, you know, th this is actually, I'm interested in this topic. As, as a radio show talk show host, I actually am rather interested in the entire idea of, um, of what people want to talk about and don't want to talk about. I kind of have a, a vested interest in that. Um, Americans want to talk and read about 
sports now, not politics. In October of 2020, in the election, you had a lot of Trump and a lot of coronavirus and a lot of George, uh, Biden and a lot of George Floyd and a lot about the White House in most popular news topics by punt monthly page views. Now, uh, COVID and Trump are still at the top, but then you got NFL, football, ESPN, uh, Houston Astros, Las Vegas and the Raiders, San Francisco and the Giants. You don't have a lot of White House or Joe Biden, which in and of itself is interesting. And I have perceived this with listeners. Now, I know what my ratings are, and, and ratings are great, and people tune in. But if you pay attention, there are so many more things that I talk about than just your political headlines of the day because life goes on outside of politics. And it seems like a whole lot of people have forgotten that life goes on outside politics. And you listen to a lot of stuff on whether it's Fox or CNN or MSNBC or your local uh, talk radio program. It's all politics all the time and nothing else. And life is not in a political vacuum. Life happens. The Braves won the World Series, and that's a good thing. Unfortunately, the political life, when it comes to sports these days in particular, well, really everything, but sports is just just the epitome of it these days, the left can't help but bring politics into it. The amount of conversation about Aaron Rodgers and the vaccine. The Braves, are the Braves racist? No, they're not, but the left, the wokes, Woko Haram wants to burn them to the ground for winning the World Series and and because of their name. Never mind, pay no attention to the Cherokee Nation supporting the Braves and the Tomahawk Chop. I don't understand the need for so many people, particularly on the left, but there are those on the right. We can't deny it. The the number of people who want to bring politics into all of it. And one of the things that has been really um, revealing is how so many sports writers in this country are hyper-progressive. And they love to bring their politics in when they can. Like, for example, remember last year during during all the shutdowns and lockdowns and the virus running rampant before the vaccine and the SEC and the ACC decided they were going to have football, whether the, the Pac-12 or the Big Ten did or not. And sports writers went ballistic. They could not believe that anyone would have the audacity to make them work. How dare you make us work a government football game? We're going to die of the virus. And they didn't, but they had to make it all political. People just wanted a good time. They wanted, they wanted a football game. That's why, by the way, the ratings are up in the NFL now because we're not having to deal with the Colin Kaepernick BS and the, the, the taking a knee all the time. The, the national anthem is being sung and life is going on and people aren't protesting this year. Amazing. Now that Trump is gone, how all that went away, isn't it? And when they made it all political, the ratings went down and now the politics has lessened. And it's come up. That's why watching hockey last year was so fascinating. It was the least political of all the sports last year. And it's gotten slightly more political this year. But the Braves won the World Series, and that shouldn't be political. That should be like a national celebration. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. 
First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 